Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna look at one and two, a verse or two out of three, I believe. Uh, I'm gonna be reading from the New Living Translation today, but if you wanna mark your Bible up, underline some things, you can open yours. So for the last several weeks, we've been talking about below the surface. We've been talking about developing that hidden, that secret life with Jesus. We're looking for deeper roots, amen? Amen. Strong foundation, a well that's overflowing with living water. So we've talked about everything from simplifying our life. We've overcomplicated this thing. We need to understand how to just receive the love of the Lord and just give it back to him. We talked about being planted next to the river so our roots can grow. Uh, We've talked about being vulnerable before the Lord, being honest, transparent before him, and tell him actually what's on your heart. Pastor David brought a word about, uh, about the word, the importance of a strong foundation in God's word. Last week, we talked about beholding his glory. Today, I want to talk about a hidden confidence. You know, we don't have to worry about how confident we are and how, how tough we look out in the public realm. What we need to do is develop a hidden confidence with the Lord so that he moves in our heart so that we can walk in humility, but also walk in the strength that the Lord has for us. You know, as we're piecing all of this together and all these different elements uh, about below the surface, uh, it is a reality that there are many Christians that when they approach the Lord in prayer and they're developing this secret time, that they don't actually have confidence going before him. They're not 100% sure that what they're talking to him about is going to work. I remember, uh, I, don't, I don't own guns or go hunting or anything, but I wanted to um, go to a shooting range just, just for fun, just a, a different skill to obtain. I remember the first time uh, that I went there, I was trained uh, in how, you know, all the safety tips and how the, the, you know, the, the goggles or the, the uh, I almost called them earmuffs. They're not earmuffs at all. <laughs> you can see I don't do this often. <laughs> the things that fit over your ears. <laughs> yeah, earplugs, whatever. <laughs> I was taught how to load properly. I was taught how, you know, how to pull a trigger properly and all the things, like all the safety things were, 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 educated to me. So I had the head knowledge. I had the training. I had the safety measures. But when you actually lift that thing up and you're, and you're about to point at the target, I wasn't quite sure it was all going to work out the way that they said it was supposed to work out. Now, the Bible's very clear that our prayer time, our secret place with the Lord is to be used as a weapon against the enemy, right? Our prayer, along with the word, is to be used as a weapon in the spirit realm as a part of spiritual warfare, However, as we're teaching and as we're talking about things like beholding the glory, being vulnerable before the Lord, all this stuff is coming into our head, is coming into our spirit. But what we want you to do is actually be able to go into his presence and have the confidence that this is actually going to work. He's going to hear what we're saying. There's going to be interaction. There's going to be a vibrancy about our relationship that's going to go somewhere. But how many of you have ever been in that situation before where you like get alone with God? Maybe you have like your Bible and your notebook and you got your, your pillow out that you're going to kneel on so your knees don't hurt. No, well, however it looks to you. And you get before the Lord and you're like, okay, you know, you're, you're amazing. You're wonderful. You worship him maybe for two or three minutes. And then you're like, now, now what? Has anybody else ever been in that situation? You're like, I, ha- I have this time set aside and now I'm not actually confident of what I'm supposed to do, what I'm supposed to say, 
how I'm able to uh, utilize the presence of God in my life to actually make a difference. But I believe that the Lord wants us to have a confidence. He wants us to grow in that strength in our hidden place so that we can actually walk out what he has for us to do in the public place. Does this make sense? So I do believe that a lot of times what we do is we inadvertently believe lies from the enemy about who we are or about how he is or about how this below the surface lifestyle was supposed to work. And because we've believed these lies, maybe it's because of past practice, maybe it's because of an experience, maybe it's because of bad theology that people just say as like catchphrases in the church that aren't actually from the Bible. Like I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, 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 you're a saint. You were a sinner, but now you're a saint. Does this make sense? These are things that sound really good, but then we believe them and then we go to the father saying, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. And he's like, who, like, who are you? Who are you? You're actually now a saint, forgiven of all of your sins. So we believe these lies about ourselves or about the Lord. And then we don't have confidence that when we come into that secret place that things are actually going to happen. One lie I believe that, that Christians believe is that only a few only the, the elite Christians will have a vibrant relationship with God and that I'm not one of them. Have you ever felt that way before? Right, so what that does in your mind is it creates a caste system of like the really super spirituals and the good spirituals that like are in church most of the, and then it's just you because you can't get it right. And it's a lie from the enemy, right? In the kingdom of God, you're either in or you're out. You're either a child of God a beloved daughter or son of God, completely forgiven of your sins, holy and blameless, or you're not. And if you're lost, you're still loved by God and you're still being pursued by God, but you're not, you're not adopted into his family yet. So there's no caste system. Like God's, the father's not talking to the son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Like, yeah, this is my straight A student. And this one, he tries really hard, but you know, this one, they're lazy. Oh, this one here, they're never gonna get it. They're never gonna catch on. It's absurd, but that's how some of us approach the Lord. Well, this, this one's been a Christian for a long time. They, they pray in tongues for a long time. They, they can preach. They pray for the sick and see heal. Well, I'm never, gonna, I'm never going to attain to that. Look at all the favor on their life. Look at the words they use. Look at the spirituality in which they act. And then we believe that we're not going to get where they are, but God's not calling us to get where they are. God's calling us to grow in him. But if we're comparing ourselves to where they are, we're never gonna attain where they are. The Lord will always put someone in your life, I'm sorry, the enemy will always put someone in your life that's just a little bit further if you're comparing yourself to others. There's no caste system. We're all children of God. In Ephesians 1, chapter three, it says, all praise to God. This is Paul talking to a real church in the city of Ephesus. These are real people. This is not church philosophy. This is not theory. These things are true, and he's teaching them to live according to them. So they say, he says, all praise to, the, to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without blame or without fault, which means blameless in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now, these verses have nothing to do with prayer. 
when you think about it. Until you stop and you start to read these things, you say, wait a minute, I'm actually going to start to believe these things. I'm going to start to believe that he is my father and that Jesus is my Lord and that he has blessed me with every spiritual blessing and that I am united with Christ. Do you see how actually believing his word, coming out of agreement with any lies that you're believing, coming into an agreement, you say, well, how do I know if I'm believing a lie? Things that oppose the word of God. So now you see some of these realities and you start to build your foundation upon the realities and the truth of scripture and not things that you've heard, not catchphrases, not ideas, and not things based on your past. I'm a part of a a daily devotional. I posted it on Facebook uh, maybe a week and a half ago. You can still sign up for it. It's it's called a 40-day negativity fast and positivity feast. It's good. One, one of the reminders a few days ago was that what you believe, you will become. So I can add on to that and say what you believe, you will receive. So if you believe that there's a caste system in heaven, and if you believe that you're a less than, and you believe that you're never going to attain to this super spiritual level, and if you believe that other people get their, answer, their prayers answered more than you, guess what? You'll actually receive what you believe. If you believe that you're not going to get your prayers answered, then are you going to approach the Father in faith? Say no. No, you're going to approach him with, well, I don't know. Like, if you're in a good mood today and if I haven't hurt your feelings enough and if you're going to tolerate me for one more day, then maybe you'll answer. That's not faith. Right? So, so God's not going to move just out of your need. He's going to move in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, the word says. So if we start coming into an agreement with what this word is saying, then we will begin to see the Lord move, I believe, in much more ways. So watch verse three here. It says, the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. There's, and when you're in your secret place with your Father, you, you have basically three options to believe if you feel like you're not gonna have this vibrant relationship, if you feel like you're in a place of lack, you're either gonna believe that God has blessed you with no spiritual blessings, or you can believe that the Lord has blessed you with some spiritual blessings, or you can believe that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, how you feel shouldn't count. Right When you're sitting before the Father and you are in desperate need of healing or a relationship to be mended or finances to be restored or provided, what you feel like shouldn't count. What should count is what the Word says. So when we come to a place and we read this thing and we're like, wait a minute, if I see this person walking in favor and blessing and provision, I'm not trying to get what they have. I'm trying to get what the word says I should have. And if the word says that I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, then I should actually believe that. And it might not always be your circumstance, but it will always be the truth because the word's not changing. So as your circumstances go up and down and they go winding around the bends, his word is forever true. So how is this possible? How are we blessed with every spiritual blessing? Do we earn it? Do we fast really, really long? Memorize one more verse? Pray one more minute? No, because when you're doing those things, the devil will tell you, you need one more minute. You need one more minute. You better earn this. You better be a good boy. No, why is it? What's the word say? We are blessed with every spiritual blessing because we are united with Christ. 
He is the reason why we've received every spiritual blessing. We put our faith in him. This is how this starts. He pursues us. We put our faith in him. And out of our faith in him, everything else flows. So the moment, the moment you say yes to Jesus, every spiritual blessing we are given access to. We say, well, where are they? They are apprehended through faith through the renewing of the mind, through repenting of believing lies that we've believed that we're not gonna actually have access to these things, coming into agreement with the truth. I don't see it, I don't feel it, but your word says it, so I'm gonna wait on you like that word was said today. I'm gonna wait on you, I'm gonna worship you, I'm gonna bow down even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of lack, even in the midst of confusion because your word says every single spiritual blessing is mine. So I'm not going home until I see this. Or you could approach him and say, I'm not sure you want to bless me. And I see everybody else that has things that I don't have. And I I just don't know. Do you see how the word is going to bring us into this hidden confidence with the Lord? To understand the reality of what his word is saying. Amen. I had to turn off. I don't know. Do we have Siri? Is that what we would have? And I had the setting on. And I said, I said, seriously or something. And she just riled up and started talking to me. I was like, I got to turn this off now. (laughs) Another lie is that God sees us in our sins and our failures when we come to him. So what happens if we feel like that the Lord sees us in our sin and in our failures, when we come to him, then we're going to come to him in shame. And that's not the way that the Lord designed this. What it say in verse four? God loved us and chose us in Christ. Say in Christ. So the, again, this isn't something that we're doing. We're putting our faith in him, but it says he loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault, meaning blameless in his eyes. Like, do you ever stop, before you say good morning to the Lord, do you ever stop and just think about how he thinks about you? Like before you, before you tell him how awesome he is, have you ever just sat there and thought about how awesome he thinks you are? You say, well, I'm not approaching God that way. He's a holy God and I'm nothing compared to him. No, no, no. This isn't making your prayer time about you. He chose to do this. So if we just take a moment and say, God, you really do love me? In all my failures and all of my sins and all of my mistakes, you actually, you actually love me this much. You actually chose me to be holy. I don't feel holy, but you chose me to be holy. In fact, when I'm coming to you this morning, Heavenly Father, you actually see me without fault? Are you serious? Do you see how just taking 30 seconds to think about how awesome he thinks you are because you are in Christ, how that can change how you approach the Father. God, you are so amazing that you would do this for me. You are so awesome that you look at somebody, I look at myself with so many faults and you look at me with no fault at all. Again, this is where lies have to leave. This is where, well, you're not feeling holy, you're not feeling blameless, you're not feeling without fault. Too bad, get over yourself. We won't approach the Father with confidence if we don't actually believe we are in a place of holiness without fault because of him. So I would encourage you, begin to look at yourself that way. Just take time. God, what do you want to say to me? How do you look at me? 
How do you receive me as a child before I even come into your presence today? If you're approaching the Lord and you're feeling dirty, if you're feeling the weight of your sin, if you're feeling the weight of guilt, that's a lie. If you're feeling something because of a mistake you've made, a sin that you've committed, whatever, then you confess it to the Lord. You come out of agreement with that, which means you're repenting. You're turning away from it and you should feel his mercy and his grace come upon you. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, I mean, like me, have actually come out of their prayer closet wearing more of a weight of guilt and shame than when you came in? That's wrong. That's a lie. You're there to receive mercy and receive grace, not receive the weight of your sin. Jesus took the weight of the sin. It's the only reason why you can stand holy and blameless before him. In fact, in Ephesians 3, verse 12, I'm just gonna read one, but then we'll, we'll hang out back in Ephesians one more. It says, because of Christ and our faith in him, right? So it's God's love to us because of our faith in him and his love toward us. We can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. That's an amazing verse when you think about it. Boldly and confidently. Not, 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 not shaking with, with, with shame, not, not saying, you know, I'm just this, this measly little Christian, Lord, and will you, will you listen to me once again? But no matter what you've done in the last 24, 48, 72 hours, whatever it's been since you've come before the Lord, which it shouldn't be more than 24 hours or maybe even an hour, you should be able to come to him with boldness and with confidence that he is a loving father waiting to embrace you, to teach you, to train you. Back at verse five of Ephesians chapter one, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. I understand there are people sitting in this room that come from an abusive family, a splintered family. And when you hear that word family, you're like, I don't want anything of it. And I'm asking you today to give God a chance. He knows how to father us. He's not gonna make the mistake. He's not gonna lash out in anger. He's not gonna become impatient with us. Just give God a chance to parent you. And I guarantee as he lavishes his love upon you, and as you become more convinced that you are holy and blameless in his sight, there will be a day where you can come confidently and boldly to him and say, Father, maybe some of you would say, Daddy, I'm here. And you look forward to spending time with him. Not, okay, this is my daily task and I checked it off my list for the day. That's not what this is supposed to be like, guys. Another lie I believe people that has limited their confidence is that they feel like God is far away. He's out of reach, right? Or you talk about intimacy with the Lord, you talk about closeness and this vibrant relationship. I just feel like God is so far away. If you want to turn your Bibles, probably one page in Ephesians chapter two, starting at verse four. It says this, it says, God is so rich in his mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Again, these verses are not about prayer. They're not about your private time with the Lord. And yet you can extract so much truth from this that it can change the way you confidently come before the Lord. Even if you think about this, watch what's happening here. God is so rich in his mercy. And then it says it's by God's grace that we have been saved. So you can begin to be lavished. You can begin to receive his mercy, to receive his grace the next time that you're before him. It's his mercy. It's his grace that enables this relationship to happen. 
But how did this happen? It says here, he gave us life. How? When he raised Christ from the dead. Now, if you just stop for a minute and start thinking, okay, God, I believe that you're far away from me. I believe that you're too distant to have a close relationship, to have this intimacy that I hear about. You start thinking about, okay, God raised Christ from the dead. So where was Christ when he was raised from the dead? Was he in heaven or on earth? Ooh, help me out, guys. In heaven or on earth? He's on earth, which means God had to become flesh and come to us first. And then if you, if, you, if you rewind your Bible all the way back to Genesis, you'll start to see, wait a minute. God was walking in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cold of the day. So were we supposed to come to God or did God come to us? God came to us. We talked about the glory last week. What happened? Did they build the tabernacle really high in the sky and go to God? Or did God's glory cloud come down in fire and come to us? He came to us, right? God's spirit came to anoint us. Jesus Christ came to us. On the day of Pentecost, the wind is howling and the Holy Spirit comes to us. So we see time and time again, we feel like God's far away. And our prayer time, our time with him is dry and distant and we're throwing up these, these prayers that we're not sure is working. And time and time again, we through, see through scripture that God is the one pursuing us. He's not far at all. He's not far at all. So you can read scriptures that have nothing to do with prayer that will enrich your prayer life the rest of your life. If you just stop, meditate on what you're reading. Mercy and grace that makes it possible. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, let us come boldly. Say boldly. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. It says, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So we have people in this room that are struggling. You're going through real things in life, right? And you are in need of mercy and you are in need of grace because this is when you need it most. And how is scripture telling us to do this? To come what? To come boldly, meaning you actually believe he has a sufficient amount of grace and mercy to give to you when you need it most. So you say, he's not giving me grace. He's not giving me mercy. He seems so far away. My encouragement to you is this, come boldly to him. Like this afternoon, get alone with God tonight, tomorrow morning, whatever. Say, God, I'm coming to you because your word says that I'm holy and without fault. So I feel weird. I might feel uncomfortable doing this, but I'm asking you for mercy. I'm asking you for grace. You don't have to shout. You can, you can talk quietly. You can be sitting down, kneeling down, whatever it is, right? Use your personality of how you want to come. But in your heart, allow a boldness and a confidence to rise up, knowing that he will give you the mercy and the grace when you need it most. Back in Ephesians 2, I read uh, verse 4 and 5, I believe. In verse 6, it says this. Say, God is closer than I think. Say, God is closer than I think. In Ephesians 2, 6, it says this. For he, this is God, for he raised us up from the dead along with Christ. Let's stop there. Romans unpacks this very clearly. He talks about how we were crucified with Christ. We were buried with Christ and we were raised back to life with Christ. Spiritually speaking, our bodies were not there. Our sins were on his body when he died, right? Our old man was being buried with him and our new life was being resurrected with him. So it says, God raised us from the dead with Christ and seated us with him. Who's with him? Christ. So he raised us 
from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So this is a present day reality. We have to catch it. This is not some far off distant prophecy. This is a present day reality. It did, do you see in the scripture, it doesn't say he will seat us with Christ. It says we are seated, E-D, past tense, with Christ in heavenly realms. So what happens is before we're born again, we're seated in the kingdom of darkness. Like it or not, you are. You're walking in rebellion with the Lord and you're seated in a place that's far below any of your potential or value. So your sins are being held against you. You will be judged at the end of time and your destination will be the lake of fire if you have not repented and given your life to Jesus Christ. So you're actually seated with the prince of the air, the prince of this world, the devil, as your king until you, until you come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Now what happens is this. We repent of our sins, we come to the Lord, and what we think, we say, okay, we've received mercy, we've received grace, and we think that we're sitting in a higher place here, okay? So when we were facing problems maybe uh, back before we knew Christ, and let's say it was a 10-foot problem, from down there, a 10-foot problem in life looks really big. So maybe you're born again now, and you say, okay, I'm receiving grace, I'm receiving mercy, this 10-foot problem is still in front of me. It's not as big as it was here, but it's still above me. It's still six feet above me. And we wonder, why aren't we having victory over this? Why aren't we coming boldly before the Lord? And what we think is this. We think, well, we're here still on earth, so we're still gonna pray up to heaven, and heaven seems really far away, and I'm still gonna throw my prayers up and hope just one day that he's gonna hear me. But scripture doesn't say that you're seated in the pit anymore, and scripture doesn't say that you're seated on earth. Where does scripture say you're seated? In heavenly places. So all we need to do is come to a realization that though our body is still on this earth, we are seated in a place that is far above anything that we'll ever experience in our life. Folks, this is our seat. This is our seat. <clears throat> Y'all look good from up here. Hey, we're going to go old-fashioned when the, the pastors used to sit on the stage during worship. I'm going to sit up here. <laughs> so check this out. Scripture actually says you have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. So let's check out the reality here. We have God, the Father, on the throne in heaven. We think that heaven is our destination. It's actually the new Jerusalem. So because we think that heaven is our destination, we don't ever think that we'll experience heaven right here and now. But the Bible says you're seated in heavenly places and our final destination becomes the new Jerusalem. So what's happening here is we have the Father. In fact, I was talking to some pastors and spouses about this this week. I was saying to them, you know, it's the Father and then Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. I said, we can only be two seats over. You know what the Lord said? The Lord reminded me of a very obvious truth just this morning. He says, who, who is the church? I said, the body of Christ. He said, yeah, you're not next to Christ. You're under Christ. So we have the Father, and then you have Christ, the head of the church, and then you have the church, the body. Are you far from God? Are you calling up to him and screaming up to him and hoping he hears? 
Are you sitting right next to him? Don't create bad theologies. I'm not putting us on the level of, of Christ or the Father. I'm just saying what Scripture said. And Scripture says you're seated up here. And no more, no more does that 10-foot problem look big anymore. Because you have the right perspective. You have a heavenly perspective. So I thought about it. It's a hard concept to grasp because our bodies are on earth. And the Lord just reminded me, when a prince or a princess travels around in their kingdom and they're not in the palace, and even if they go outside of their kingdom into foreign territories to advance the territory of their father, do they fail? Do they stop being a prince or a princess? Absolutely not. Their body is not present in the palace, but the palace is still their home. They're still seated as royalty. That's their position. So though their circumstance is not that they're in the palace at that time, their position is still one of royalty. So your circumstance doesn't have to look like this or feel like this all the time, but this is a reality that we need to begin operating from. So we're seated in heavenly places. Flip back to Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Where was every spiritual blessing given to? Where? In heavenly realms. It says, God blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly realms. So now we're not reaching up so high, hoping that something, that he throws us a peanut. We're saying, I'm right next to the Father, an intimate relationship with him, with access to every spiritual blessing. Well, it's not working out this way. It's not doing this and this. Then keep pressing in. Keep talking. Keep coming before the Father. Do what the song said. Keep worshiping, keep bowing down, keep standing still and waiting. It's right within grasp. Later on in Ephesians 1, starting at verse 19, I'm not gonna try to read it, I'm gonna paraphrase. Paul's talking about us understanding the same power of God. And it says that this power raised Christ from the dead. And what did God do? It said that he seated Jesus at the right hand of the Father in a place of honor and authority. Where? In the heavenly realms. And then it goes on, it says something along the lines, it's on the screen, I'm not gonna try to do it because I don't wanna fall off. And I don't wanna read it. <laughs> he put Christ above all rulers, authorities, powers, leaders in this world, not just in the world to come. And he did it, God did it for the benefit of the church. And it goes on in verse 21 or so on to say, it's his body. So God seated Christ at the right end of the Father, which means that he shares in the glory and the power and the authority of the King. And now we are his body seated in this same location that is far above anything that the devil and his demons can try to do in our life. This will change the way that you approach prayer. It'll change the confidence in which you approach prayer. I want you to go back to Ephesians uh, chapter two. We read verse six, and I'm gonna read verse seven, and then we'll close. I just don't want you to look at me while I'm climbing down, that's all. <laughs> he was helping me. My hands get sweaty when I climb high ladders. <laughs> Let's take a look. Ephesians 2, verse 7. I believe that this will help break one more lie 
is that my relationship with God and everything that I do in my hidden place will not actually be vibrant enough to leave a legacy when I'm gone. We believe we're just struggling to get by and we're just doing this, but it's not actually gonna impact my kids or my grandkids or people that I've come into contact with. And this verse, I love that how this verse flows right from a position, right? So if you go back here and you're reading from Ephesians 2, <clears throat> verse four, he's so rich in his mercy. He's loved us so much. Even though we were dead, he raised us back to life with Christ by grace that we're saved. Because now we're saved, we're raised with Christ. We're seated with him in heavenly places. Why? Why is all this taking place? And in verse seven, it says, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. So parents, your children, grandparents, your grandchildren, those of you without kids and those of us with kids, there are future generations waiting for us to get alone with God, to understand our position in Christ, and to actually walk through very tough circumstances with faith and with joy. They're not looking for a life that's perfect. They're looking for a real life, one that walks in humility, that actually knows God, that, that's friends with God that can actually teach them, listen, God's bigger than your problem. We're gonna to continue to pray and believe with you. Future generations, God is looking to point to us, just like he was looking to point to the Ephesian church. This still applies today. He wants to point to us in future generations, 50, 60, if the Lord doesn't come back five, 600 years from now. He wants to point to us and say, do you remember, you see this generation? Do you see how much of my mercy and my kindness and my goodness they receive? We're able to do that because we come with confidence, because we come with boldness, and because we know our position in Christ. Why don't you stand at this time? We're gonna sing a closing song in just a moment. I'm gonna call the altar team down in a moment. But I want you to come forward uh, to receive prayer uh, in just a minute here for just a few different reasons. Number one, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're like, none of this makes sense to me, when you put that chair down there, that makes sense to me. If that's the only aspect that makes sense to you, that you're not right with God yet, that you've never confessed your sins to the Father, you've never repented, then I want you to come forward and ask one of our altar workers uh, to, to just help lead you to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're far away from him and you wanna come down for that also, that's fine. But for these specific reasons, I do want you to come forward also. Number one, if you are struggling to have vibrant, quiet times, it does not mean anything's wrong. It just means you heard a whisper of a catchphrase in Christianity or from the enemy. You've heard something or read something that you're in agreement with now that you don't actually feel like you can come and have a rich and satisfying and fulfilling relationship with Jesus. So if you struggle in your quiet times, I want you to come forward and we're gonna pray for you. The Lord's gonna lead you. Maybe, maybe there's somebody that you have to forgive. Maybe there's just something you're like, I, you know, I say this and this and this and maybe someone will stop you and say, well, hold on, let's pray about that one thing. The second thing is, is if you doubt that God actually hears you, Again, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means like, hey, you're, right now you're not coming confidently. 
You're not actually 100% sure that he does hear you and you still feel like you're throwing up these prayers instead of seated next to him. I just want you to come forward and they wanna pray over you and help bring you into that reality that he does hear you. And third is if you've been pressing in, if you've had the same prayer request for a long period of time, I want you to come forward. Now, I understand people have plowed for years. I've heard of grandparents that have prayed for 30, 40, 50 years for their grandchildren and they come to the Lord. But what I'm believing is, is if there's some type of repentance in your head, if you're seeing that chair from a new uh, perspective today, then maybe there was a lie that you were believing and maybe you'll see breakthrough today. Let's just like believe that, right? Believe that he will hear us and he will answer us because we've prayed according to his will. First John says that. When we pray according to his will, we can be confident that he hears us, that we'll have what we ask for. So if you're struggling to have vibrant, vibrant, quiet times, if you doubt that God hears you, or if you've been praying the same request, whether it's for physical healing, a relationship, finances, some things in your life that's just not breaking loose, I want someone to pray with you today from this new perspective. I'm gonna ask our altar team to come forward. I'm gonna ask Bethel's uh, Cleveland team to come forward. We're gonna pair up. We're gonna minister together today. As we are singing this song, anytime that you feel led to, just come forward and then we'll allow this altar time to remain well after the service, but we will release you after this song. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.